Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. This is yet another episode in our series on motivation, a key concern I know for everybody I talk to, and it seems like it's increasingly a concern these days than it might have been five years ago. But in this particular episode, we're going to focus on a lessons experience from a leader who's led across countries and across many groups, and I think you're going to find out this on-the-ground perspective is actually quite useful. All right, so my guest today is Sam Kendall. Sam is currently at Unicredit as head of advisory and capital markets. He was also recently appointed as head of advisory and financial solutions, and he's a member of the Client Solutions Exco. Sam has 30 years experience in investment banking. Um, He was at UBS before as heading um, in the Americas division in the investment bank. And before that, he was in the Asia Pacific division. And prior to his regional roles, he was the global head of equity capital markets. And then he's had a variety of senior regional roles in equity capital markets, all in New York, Hong Kong, and London. And I should add, he started his career as an equity trader and a sales trader, just to name a bit of a variety. Um, Sam has been a keen advocate for diversity and inclusion, both as chairman of the Diversity and Inclusion Committee while he was at UBS and now as senior sponsor for wellness within the investment bank. And uh, he's Australian, Bachelor of Arts from the University of New England in Australia. Sam, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Wanda. Great it's to a be pleasure. here. Always a pleasure to talk to you. I really enjoy our conversations forever. Um, so I want to start. You've had this really unusual career path. I mean, it's unusual in financial services for people to have moved across as many business lines as you've moved across. Granted, they were all in investment banking, but that's a loose amalgamation. And to have moved as many geographies. That's a lot of, as I call it, out of the comfort zone moves. What's helped you do those moves and be successful? Uh, look, I think the way you ask that question presupposes that there was some sort of grand plan that, you know, all of these were in some sort of steps. Um, you know, um, I went, you know, you talked about, you know, New York, Hong Kong and London. I started in uh, Brisbane, Australia, as you said, and went to Sydney. And that was a big jump going from a small town like Brisbane to a big town like Sydney, right? And then I went from Sydney to New York. Uh, you know, I've been in these places multiple times. Um, you know, I lived in London for f- four times, New York three times, uh, Hong Kong, I think, four times, Singapore once. Um, you know, I think I, I sort of was always trying to, you know, do new things to challenge myself. Um, you know, some of those moves came about because I was asked you know, to, you know, by uh, the bank to uh, to move, right? There was a new opportunity. Um, you know, I think when I first left Australia, I, I thought I'll just go overseas for a couple of years and I'll be back and I'll probably sit next to the guy that I was, you know, sitting next to when I left. And, and I never went back and I, you know, uh, I just kept sort of moving and, you know, you find new and interesting things to do. You keep challenging yourself. Um, you know, I think 
what I did find through all those moves, it, it, you know, they all sound very uh, different, right? Like the cultures between Europe, the US and Asia. But, you know, ultimately the people that, you, you know, you're working with are have the same motivations that they do anywhere in the world, right? You know, they want to be valued. Uh, they want to feel part of a team. You know, clients everywhere in the world have the same problems. I mean, they're idiosyncrasies between different markets, there's different regulators, whatever. But, you know, I'm yet to see um, a client anywhere in the world say, I want to do a bad deal, right? Like, I, I want to make my company smaller, right? Um, you know, so everyone, you, you know, has these objectives. So when you think of it in those terms, you know, it's not, you're not that far out of your comfort zone, right? Like, you you know, a lot of your strengths that you've, you know, a lot of your knowledge, particularly from a professional perspective, was transferable, right? You had to adapt it, right? You know, I was only sort of going through, someone was asking me about, they're looking at a move, you know, themselves, right? They're, someone I've hired uh, is moving from New York to Milan. You know, this person's never lived outside or his partner has never lived outside of um you know new york and i was talking to the partner and he sort of said like how do i do this right like and i said look this is really easy the the biggest problem is you won't know where to get a light bulb right you won't know where to get a coffee right but there's something exciting about learning maybe not learning how to get where to get a light bulb but learning about new restaurants and and you know experiencing new cultures and and I think it was just that intellectual curiosity to keep learning and keep, both professionally and personally, which, you know, led me to, um, you know, to keep being open to a move. I mean, I left Australia in 1996. I'm a bit tired of moving, right? Um, my wife and I have sort of decided that, you know, we're now sort of saying, where do we want to live? Um and that's why we've decided to, you know, continue to live in Europe versus going back to Australia. My wife is Australian. Um, you, you know, so we, we're starting to make conscious choices. But, you know, it's still about learning. I think that was the big motivator. And I never felt I was really out of my comfort zone because I kept trying to find things that I could – there were strengths that I was bringing, right? You know, um, but if you don't take risks in your career, in your life, there's no return, right? Like it's right. pretty simple. Right. It's, um, I think the hardest thing for people to get their head around is the strengths that you're bringing. It's one of my core themes, as you know, Sam, that frequently we think about our strengths as the knowledge I have, the content knowledge I have. But you talk about strengths in a much broader way, the strengths with understanding people, the strengths with curiosity, a whole bunch of things. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I think... You know, in getting outside of your comfort zone, you know, whatever you're doing, right, whether it's moving country, whether it's having a new job, whether it's trying a new restaurant, right, like, you know, like, find, I think, what is your safe place, right? Like, if, you know, like, if you're trying a new job, and I remember when I went from equities trading to investment banking, right, you know, and I, I had exactly this conversation with my uh, then boss. I said, I don't know, like, I don't know anything about corporate finance, right? Like, I'm a, you know, I've come from a trading, a markets perspective, right? And this person said to me, they said, look, you understand liquidity, right? Like, you understand how to find the right price. 
remember that you know when you're doing an IPO or whatever, you're just trying to find liquidity. You're trying to find doing a bond, doing an M and A deal. You're trying to find a price which everyone can agree on, right? Like you understand liquidity. That's really valuable, right? And I found that that was something that I had that was a differentiator versus other people that had had the same ex- different experiences, right? They'd come up through one experience. So, you know, my and this is where it goes back to that diversity of views, diversity of you know, backgrounds, you know, diversity of gender, et cetera, that different perspective, you know, can be incredibly valuable, right? And and so I never really felt like, you know, outside of my comfort zone. I mean, there were times when I definitely did, but, you know, like I never felt like I was taking massive risk, right? You right. know? Right. It was always a next step. All right. e- exactly. Yeah. I want to shift and talk about motivation, which was the purpose. And I want to emphasize at the start of this, that this isn't representing your current company's perspective or your prior company's perspective or anything related to how the company would define their leadership or their goals or any of their values. This is just your experience, Sam. So I want to be clear about that as we go through it, because that's what I want to hear is your perspective. So getting a team motivated and motivated to follow you, I want to know what's the secret, particularly as you've moved so many different places through so many different kinds of business. What have you found is really essential in there? What works? I mean, I, as I said, you know, it's amazing. You take, you strip away the different cultures, the idiosyncrasies, right? Like human beings at their core are pretty similar everywhere in the world, right? Um they want to feel valued. They want to feel listened. They, you know, they, they, they want to feel like they've got, you know, a place where they've got trajectory or, you know, they're having fun or, you know, now everyone's got different drivers to that, right? Like some people like, you know, just want a job and they want a job where they feel, you know, that they can earn a good living and they've got this work-life balance. Other people, you know, want to reach the top of the pyramid really quickly uh, you know you've got to try to work out you know the culture that you're dealing with the people that you're dealing with right um you know there was um you know a book I, re- I read by stanley mccrystal and he was talking about leadership right and he said once upon a time it, you know it was napoleon on a a horse or it was George Washington like going across the Potomac you know on the front of the boat right and that was how we defined leadership that's how you know people just followed the leader right yeah and he made the point that leadership today motivating teams today is about you know understanding that you're actually a gardener you're a humble gardener and you've got tomatoes and you've got lettuces and you've got carrots and and you've got to create this environment it's one garden you've got to create this environment where everyone can you know prosper and and be themselves and you know and i think to do that what you've got to do is you've got to spend i I spend a lot of time listening right like talking to people whenever i come in to run a new business and and i've done that you know really over the last 10 years i've you know i've had a number of roles where i've just put into a new a new position uh i've spent the first two weeks three weeks just having 200 300 meetings i just pack my diary and i ask a set of questions and i'm trying to pick up it you know what are the issues what are people worried about what what are their hopes what are their fears 
you find that uh, it all clumps, right? You find that the answers are there at the edges, and you've got to be you've got to be out there looking. You've got to be out there listening. You've got to be out there finding them. And then you can use that to help you to create that garden that people feel valued and that they know where they're going and you're solving their problems, right? Like you keep hearing, right? Like, you know, one of the questions I often ask is if you were sitting in my seat, what would be the first thing you would do, right? Um, it doesn't matter whether you're a senior or a junior. And then, you know, I spend three or four hours a week, you know, I try to do one sort of every couple of days where I sit down with a group of people for an hour and I just talk to them. They can ask me anything they want and I'm at different levels. So I'm listening to what people want. And when you're picking that up, that's almost like a leading indicator of the health of the business, right? And also a leading indicator of where the problems may be, right? Or activity levels. You, you're picking up, there's more client interactions, right? Like I'm really busy, you know? And I think you can use that to then sort of judge how fast you can go, where you should go, right? You know, and so people feel like they've been a part of, you know, of, of, of pointing the ship in the right direction, so to speak, right? Yeah. I love this. So 200 to 300 meetings and you ask a set of questions. You just gave away one of them, which is if you were sitting in my seat, what you would do. By the way, as a coach is my favorite question to ask a senior sponsor of the coaching. If you were in this person's shoes, what would you be doing differently? It just that gives people license to speak. So that's one question. What would you do if you were in my seat? What are your other questions? Well, you, you got to ask people what works and what doesn't work. I think, you, you know, asking people what's not working, I mean, you then just get like a diatribe of everyone's like, everyone plays the victim, right? You know, they're, in any organization, there's things that, you, you know, are done really, really well, right? You, you know, um, and you've got to learn, you've got to find those because you need to turn the volume up. You know, like we, we hear as leaders, you've got to have that first 100 days. You've got to get momentum. You want some quick wins. Well, working out what's working and turning the volume up, like yeah, you're not reinventing the wheel. You're just making it more efficient, right? And and so you've got to, you've got to do that. So it's what's working, what's not working, right? You know, I also sort of ask, okay, if, you know, if we're three years down the track, right, what, 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 you know, and because usually I'm coming in, there's some sort of change and there's, you know, something, you know, we, we've, we're setting off in a new direction, you know, like, what does it look like? What does success look like in your mind, right? You, you know, because if we sort of know what that looks like, then we can plot it backwards, right? And then you understand, like, you know, does everyone have the same narrative, right? Like if, if there's a strategy of the company being outlined, you should be able to work out where we're going in the next three years. It doesn't matter which company it is, right? Like if the, the narrative has been successful, right? Like this is where we're going. You, you quickly understand whether it's come down, right? Like there's always a talk about a perma-freeze of the message stops usually at that middle at that mid-manager sort of level right and by you know asking that question you know does everyone have that aligned narrative around the whole business right or is it a is it a is it a is it a vertical narrative right like a people in an echo chamber 
to their own teams, right? Or are they all working together? So there's sort of, and then there's a couple of other, you know, questions I might ask. But, you know, I find if you ask the same questions or roughly the same questions, um, you very, very quickly pick up the same answers over and over again. The people know the answers, right? And very often people feel that they're not listened to, right? Right. You know, um, I have to say by the time you've had the 300th conversation and it's the same questions and the same answers, right? You sort of, you know, but you have to, you have to, you have to show the same level of interest to the 300th person that you did to the first person, right? I was going to ask, how do you keep yourself uh, patient enough to listen to the 300th conversation? Actually, it's the 200th to the 300th that I can imagine is the problem. And um, equally enthusiastic, motivated, I might say. Because, you know, like, whilst I say that they're sort of largely the same, there's always those nuggets, right? And you don't know whether you're going to discover that on the first conversation or the 300th conversation, right? You know, you're also, you've got to remember, and, you know, I'm having conversations not just with my first line, but going right down into the business to have these conversations. You might be finding a future leader, right, of tomorrow Mm -hmm. or even today, and they impress you, right? And you'll go, okay, okay, I'm sitting up, I'm paying attention, right? Like this is, I'm, I'm hearing something different. Someone's projecting confidence in a way that at their level I wouldn't expect, right? Okay, mm-hmm. you know. Um, you know, so yeah, I keep myself motivated by um, knowing that you just don't know where you're going to find that nugget, right? Right, right. You said um, you're hoping to spot that or you might spot that future leader, you said confidence. Are there any other qualities, characteristics, behaviors that kind of really strike you when you're looking at future leaders? I think, um, you know, I, I, I think, uh, I mean, confidence um, is one thing, uh, you know, not just a lot of bravado. I think it's got to be confidence to speak your mind, to, to talk truth to power, so to speak, right, to, to have a view Right, mm-hmm. you know, and and to back that view, um, you know, I, I, you know, I'm looking for people that are analytical in the way that they think, right? Um, that that are thoughtful, you know, um, uh, you know, sort of understand, you know, things like how to construct an argument, right? Like I was just having a conversation with someone this evening, right? No, no, I'm having that classic, I need to cut costs and I'm looking at, you know, financial information providers and this young guy came to me and he said, you don't understand, this is vital for my business, right? If I don't have this piece of kit, I won't be able to do my job, right? And I'm like, that's not really an argument, right? Like that's not... It's it's a and I he's only he's a young associate director or a director right you know and uh, and I said this is the way you got to think about this right like it's got to be in numbers right like how much revenue am I going to lose if I cut this and you know am I going to cut all these licenses and save more than the revenue I'm going to lose right like and by the way the revenue I lose from your business can I make it up somewhere else right. So you have to talk in data, right? So I'm looking, and he was like, okay. And and very quickly he got that he had to think with this and not with this, and he couldn't deal in binaries, right? Like it wasn't, the business wasn't going to go to zero, 
right? If right. I took away a license for something, and so he was able to adapt, right? That young man, you know, and I was sitting next to his boss, right? We were having this conversation. She was just chuckling to herself, right? Because he just, I mean, she knows how to think, right? Like he just walked into this buzzsaw. Um, now I was playing with him a little bit, but what I was looking for, and I think this young man could be a future leader of any business, right? Not just our business. I think he's a really talented young person. Was that ability to adapt and to learn quickly, right? Like to his environment, um, you know, because you never stop learning. I mean, you you go across industries, right? Like the senior leaders that you deal with are continually learning new ways of doing things. Marketplace is changing. You know, have That's you right. got that agility in in uh, in your mental like alertness to be able to adapt? Right. It's one of the qualities I in the leaders that I find that are most admired and most um, successful in every dimension we want to say sustained over time are the ones who are constantly looking for that one more edge, that one more tiny piece that's going to make a difference in their performance and their team's performance. All right. So you've talked about looking to, to listening to people, you know, hundreds of conversations, not just in the first weeks or two weeks, but throughout the course of time listening for the ideas, listening for the nuggets, listening for the analytical perspective, listening for the willingness to challenge you or to have opinion and to defend that point of view appropriately, not just emotionally. Um, you've talked about making sure that the message you're articulating is echoed up and down the organization so people understand the direction, where we're headed in the direction. And you've talked about it's a garden and we're looking for understanding what's going to make each variety of plant grow, okay? And then you've said everybody wants to feel valued, to kind of understand where their future is going, probably to learn. Anything else you've discovered about differences among people in terms of their motivation? Look, I mean, I'm in the financial world. Um, you, you know, I think money clearly plays into it right you know um you know but one of the things i've found is that that doesn't motivate long long term like there's got to be something other than the money and you know look we, we you know we we work in a volatile industry so sometimes the money's up and sometimes the money's down right i think people want to feel that they're they're treated fairly that they're respected that you know that um that they're listened to right yeah. um you know, I think um, I think people also want to, you, you know, be inspired. They want to know where they're going. They want to be trusted too. And I think, you know, um, and this is where communication constantly comes in, right? Like, you know, I have a, you know, a, a live update. It's what we call town halls. But, you know, every quarter telling the business how we've done where we've got to go to i'm continually talking my belief is that if people understand how i'm thinking where we're going my expectations i i wrote an i you know as, as you said I, at the beginning i recently took over a new business i wrote an expectations memo you know um where i sort of set out in broad strokes i was looking for leadership not just from people with titles. I was looking for leadership for everywhere. I was looking for excellence, right? I was looking for communication, you, you know. Yeah. 
very clearly setting out. And then if you've effectively drawn the box, people understand they can operate quicker. There's trust. They know, you, you know, you have to trust and verify. But, you know, I think you then spend your time you know, having bigger conversations, you know, not micromanaging the business because people understand they take that, they adapt it to their own businesses, you know. Um, and that's when you start you start operating at speed, right? That's where businesses become more agile is, you, you know, there's a, you know, there's there's a lot of trust, but there's, the trust comes through communication, right? Like people drive those outcomes and the only reason they drive those outcomes is they understand what they have to do. They're trusted to do them, you, you know, right. they're given right. the tools, right? You know, yeah. um, so I think that's why I think communication is a really big part of, you know, of that motivation, both hearing, both talking, but also listening as well, right? Right, right. The One of the things that I have watched you do consistently over the years that I have known you, Sam, is this being really clear about the direction we're headed and what that looks like and what your expectations are of people who operate within that space. And then if you've got everybody aligned behind that, understanding what that means, and they're going on to get about their job, then it leaves you free to worry about the bigger issues that no one else is worrying about, like what avalanche is coming from the sidelines that I hadn't seen and engaging people in those conversations. So people are thoughtful about the business they're in, not just executing. Is that a fair representation? Yeah, it's a fair representation. It's a fair representation. Yeah. You know, um, I think that, you know, you have to hold yourself accountable. You have to hold, you know, other people accountable, right? Because right. we can't, in any business, you can't do it by yourself. Like right? it takes a team very often with different, you know, different objectives, different managers. But you know, like rarely does one person hire, fire, or pay everyone, right? So yeah. you can't motivate with that. You have to motivate with influence. You know, you have to hold yourself accountable. And I think by holding people accountable, holding yourself accountable, you achieve, right? And it's fun to achieve, right? You look back, you go, you know, you know, like. You know, I often say to, to, to my people, right, like, it's not about where we're going, right? Like, like that's where we're going, right? But that's that doesn't create the value. The value is the little things that you do, the execution that you do, the, all the incremental, everyone's got a part to play in the success, right? And then it's only when you look back and you look at all the incremental pieces, right? Now, if you hold people accountable and help them, you have to help them, you have to teach them. I mean, you know, I look back at the people that have had the most influence on my career, right? There was one gentleman that talked that taught me about the top line, like how to hold yourself accountable, how to think about how do you drive that, getting in front of clients, right? And then there was someone else who taught me about the middle line, like how to manage costs, how to manage capital, right? Now, you know, to manage costs, you have to you have to think ahead, right? Because it's hard to take costs out, right? We have contracts, right? Like, you know, we people book you. They book you a year in advance, right? So we've already paid for you, right? Whoever's hiring you has already paid for you. So canceling you this year, right? So we have to think about, when we're getting Wanda Wallace next year, right? And so you have, and that's hard. You have to train yourself, but you also have to train your people to think like that, right? And so holding them accountable, 
to having a plan, executing on the plan, you know, and also remembering that no one came out of the womb a successful leader. No one came out of the womb a successful banker, right? We were taught that by someone else, right? And you and I had a conversation just before Christmas about, you know, that level of lead. How do you – Yeah. And, I, you know, I remember when I first got into the senior leadership, you know, around the, 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 big, the big kids' table, right, and uh, the adults' table, so to speak, and, and I, was, I was hauled to London. I was sitting in Hong Kong. I'd just taken over a business, hauled to London, and I had to make the business well, – overall, the business was not doing well. We had to make some big decisions, right? And this was my first sort of, you know, adult table conversation, and they were using – three-letter acronyms that I had no – I was busy under the table Googling what everything meant, right? Now, by the time the meeting finished, I'd sort of played catch-up and I realised that what they were asking me to do was take out a whole bunch of cost and work out yeah. how I was going to make the business profitable. But I had no idea, right? And so I'd been elevated to a senior leadership position with really none of the skills that I needed to, you know – and so this is why pushing stuff down, right? Like preparing your people, yeah. you know, however you can, teaching them, I think is going to make your business more, you know, sustainable. It's going to make it more agile. But for the people, that trust, I have to believe it's motivating, right? That's yeah. the feedback I get. Yeah. You know, what people have been given responsibility, they've been held accountable. You get out of their way, you, you know, and also, allow people to fail. I, I have failed many, many times, right? Like when I first got senior management roles, I wanted to execute like somehow if I did my homework in like the quickest amount of time, right? And I'd uh-huh. come in and like 30 seconds later, I'm like, job done, right? Yeah. And um, you know, my boss at the time was like, really? Like you've made, look behind, you've made such a mess, Right. And he was right. You know, I'd look behind, like there was collateral damage everywhere. I'd achieve what I had to achieve, but at what cost? And so, you know, he was like, I'm going to give you another piece of responsibility. Don't make the same mistakes again, right? And I, you know, like you get better and better. So I think um, motivating people by allowing them to fail, you know, I personally found that really motivating to be given the trust to fail, and then to be picked up out of the mud and dusted off, right? Now, if I kept, yeah, and then listen, if I, if I kept, you know, if I kept making the same mistakes, yeah, well, right. Yeah, that's a different conversation, right? But right. as long as you're learning, and you know, um, you know, I also think too, you know, solving problems like people, you know, like the the satisfaction you get solving problems for clients, solving problems, you know, for, for internally, you know, like we, we like achievement. We're human beings. Yeah. We like we like being, yeah. you know, having completed something to be praised for doing it, right? You know. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of um, the UK football coaches here who said to me, you know, you want to keep your team going, you got to win. If you're not winning some, nobody's going to stick with you for very long. And I think you're saying that we want to achieve, we want to win, we want to feel like we're on the right track. Small win, big win. Granted, it's a cyclical industry, but there's still got to be some successes. Um, One of the things that strikes me about what you're saying, particularly in terms of accountability and motivation, is it is making sure people are on the same 
We're playing by the same playbook. We got the same direction that we're going. Nobody's confused by that. But it's also important that people understand the details of how they're going to be held accountable, the management, the numbers, the kind of problems, and the education of people of what you're looking for, rather than playing a gotcha game. You didn't do it the way I was looking for. Okay, I gotcha. That just destroys trust. And I think people start feeling demotivated because you can't feel like, I can't I can't read your mind. What is it you really are wanting? Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think having a very clear, again, this all comes back to communication, over-communicating around what success looks like, right? You know, um, you know, I look in, you know, in our business, the business I run now, I've very clearly set out KPIs that I've shared with the teams, all the teams, right, at a, at a macro level, and each of the teams have those to push them down. KPIs on productivity and profitability, Right? Mm-hmm. Like these are these are the way we're going to manage the business, right? You know, and we're going to take the numbers from the CFO, right? So, like now, I think you also need to look at KPIs. You know, like those KPIs are lagging KPIs, right? Because they're outcomes of results, right? The challenge is to teach people what leading or coincident indicators are, right? So. You, you know, um, for example, you know, like we go out and pitch a deal and the sales cycle may be 12 months, maybe an M&A deal, right? Like could be 12 months, could be two years, could be three years, right, before we get a mandate, right? You know, understanding how long that is taking, right? If, it, you know, a, a DCM deal, a, you know, like a bond or a loan or equity, right? We know how long that usually takes. If that is expanding if it's going you know from pitching to being mandated starts to go longer you know you've got a problem a knock on it in two years time right right you know and so i know i'm going to have a you know you know a profitability problem in two years time because my revenue is slowing down like i can see it right so then you've got to work out what do i do around the other levers that i've got cost your capital etc right you know, and, and, you know, teaching people, you know, that it's not just about the KPIs that we've said, but also you've got to work out how to interpret how you're going to achieve those KPIs. And this is how you start to see around corners, right? Because you, you often, you look at these bosses and you're like, how did they know to put the brakes on or how did they know to accelerate, you know, go out and hire a whole bunch of people or, you know, it's because they were looking at la- at lagging and leading and coincident, you know, indicators. These KPIs, right? You know. Right. So it's right. You, um, we did talk just before Christmas, and you inspired me to go back and rethink on this whole metric because I have given less credit to metrics historically than I think I need to because you have this opinion. Exactly as you just said, that if people have the right metrics, they're going to have to do a better job of management. Um, inspired me to go back and say, you're right. I have been ignoring that. I haven't been paying enough attention to that one. But we don't give people this kind of training. I mean, we teach them how to read financial spreadsheets. Yes, of course. We teach them how to look at their what numbers they get. But where do you develop the sense of leading indicators or lagging indicators or coincidental indicators? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I... You know, as you know, I'm a voracious reader, right? Like, you, you know, and across a 
bunch of different things like fiction, like history. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the Jack Welsh I did it my way sort of business book, right? Because I think there are there are there are case in time, right? You, you know, um, but I can't. You know, I, where I got the leading indicator idea was I was reading something about you know like a sales like mm-hmm. something about like sales sort of uh, businesses, right? And that's what we do. Yeah. Right? Like, like we're in sales. Everyone's in sales, yeah. right? You know, yeah. and you know, like if I can walk into a computer sh- into a computer store, right? Like to buy a TV, that person who's selling me the TV knows exactly how many TVs they've got to sell to hit their budget. Mm-hmm. Right, and there's a little, you know, you look. They've all got these little iPads yeah. and or whatever, and they know are they ahead of their da- daily right. targets or are they behind? Right, and so I was reading a book about about this, right? Or it wasn't a book; it was an article about this, right? right. And I was like, you know what? Like, why can't we apply that that leading? You know, like at any point in time, I can predict, right? You, you know, where I'm going to have a problem. Right, and so it wasn't just about taking the KPIs. We all know the KPIs. How can I reinterpret that? But it was because, and this is one of the things that I would encourage people. This is not motivation. This is whatever. But I think you need to be intellectually curious, intellectually curious to learn, not just as a leader everywhere, right? And you know, be widely read and and take your sources of inspiration from a whole bunch of different you, you know places because you don't know where that's you know, going to come from, right? right. You, you know, um, you, you know, um, and you, t- you, you know, I find I cherry pick from some of these sources, not like we're going to do it exactly the way that the yeah. Six Sigma or whatever, but actually I like this idea and actually uh, I think that's a, that doesn't apply to my, yeah. you know, my industry, right? But I like the way, you know, as I said, you know, I read McChrystal and there's a lot about McChrystal's thing. What he said, I don't think applies to banking, but the garden analogy really resonated with me, right? Yeah. Yeah. I remember um, talking to an insurance executive, this is several, well, more more than 10 years ago, and we'll just leave it at that, who was really good at developing new businesses and nurturing them, letting them grow in a big, big organization. And part of his strategy was these leading indicators. He had about seven that he just constantly tracked with every single region. And so long as every single little business he was running was on track with those seven leading indicators, in effect, he kind of stayed out of it and said, you're doing a fine job, keep going, trust you, everything's great. But the moment one of them popped up in the wrong zone, he was on the plane to wherever the heck it was to figure out what was going on. And I've always thought what a great idea to think about the business beyond just the profit and loss, cost, productivity kind of metrics. So what are your other indicators that say this business is healthy or not healthy? Um, look, I think by talking to people, you pick up a tone. Like you can sometimes see, yep. you know, uh, if you've got a problem with the leadership because, you, you know, the you're getting sort of feedback. and People usually don't come in and say, Sam's terrible, Wanda's terrible, but you pick it up like a demotivation, like they play the victim, right? Everything's yeah. broke, you know, like, and so then you sort of realize, okay, maybe there's a problem there, right? You know, yeah. um, 
I was watching something with Jeff Bezos the other day, right, like a YouTube video, and he said when the data and the anecdotes are not aligned, yep. be- believe the anecdotes, believe the anecdotes and he was he he was saying that um like all the data said that their customer service was amazing right but all the feedback said their customer service was terrible right so he said to the customer service person who was trying to tell him it was amazing he said let's call customer service and it was like wasn't 30 wasn't 30 seconds like it was a long time right like you know he was using this as a point so i think by talking to the teams you get a sense right but you're you know the early kpis you know like i think the leadership you know like where's that right like you know do i feel that someone's driving do they have a plan are they executing You, you know um you know, are they bogged down in spreadsheets or are they actually thinking about they're developing their people, right? I think, you know, um, you're also looking at the speed of execution, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, if some businesses are on a trajectory but, you know, others are not on the same trajectory, you've got to ask yourself the question, is that a market issue? Do I have a market issue, right, like a headwind or is it a structural issue with the way that we're executing on the plan and then it's about you know do we rip up the plan or do we you know course correct so to speak with the plan we just we've got off a little bit right but it's about continually i you know i have weekly calls with my direct with no agenda so to speak i'm just trying to listen to the activity levels that are going on you know like I'm trying to understand the internal frustrations that they need someone else to do that. And, you know, um, but I'm also going and, you know, like we have it, we have to work closely with that coverage in the network. I go and get their perspective on what's working, what's not working, right? Because okay. no one, people rarely come to you and say it's going badly, right? So you have yeah, to get okay. the other perspective. So it keeps coming back to communication, you know, yeah. um, you know, but. You know, I, I'm really looking for those lead, the, the leading indicators when I'm talking to people is, are they thinking ahead, right? Like, are they are they thinking about how the market's going to evolve, right? Like, are they thinking about the upside and the downside? What do I have to do? Um, you, you know, I think that tells you a lot about where you should focus, right? You know, instead of every week I look do this, this, this and this, right? You've got to you've got to be looking for a few things that are early warning signals. Everyone's got their different things. Your guy had his seven things, right? You know, I just spend a lot of time communicating, listening, talking, prodding. I've got, I've got so much data. My CFO hates me because I'm continually <laughs> like, I've seen something here and we need to do a deep dive, right? And it's, it's not about boiling the ocean. I think one of the challenges in leadership is, you know, it, and also motivate because it's not motivating when you're asking people to boil the ocean, right? But yeah, right. is how do you make judgment calls with incomplete facts, right? Mm-hmm. Like you haven't mm-hmm. got all the – you, you, you never will have, right? And uh, you have to make that judgment call and, and that's where you've got to focus instead of trying to boil the whole ocean, you know, because when you're pulling, doing this internal work, you're taking people away from meeting clients, right? And that's right. not motivating, right? Right. You know. So, you know, it's uh, – and you, you just – you're looking for those early warning signals, as you say. 
Yeah. Well, in that boil the ocean two thing, can people can feel like you're after them in some way, you're trying to catch them out. And that is not motivating either. It's just a matter of time before you're going to figure out something that I didn't know. And then, you know, people are spending their time worrying about the question as opposed to doing the business that they need to be doing. Um, Let's talk about the team for a minute getting the right team. I've never talked to a senior leader who hasn't said you have to have the right team, followed by don't wait too long to make some choices. I want to know where you stand on this. How important is the right team, quote unquote? How important is the right vision direction, quote unquote? And what do you do if you think you've got not got the right? How do you know if you got the right team? Let's start there. I mean, I think in any industry, there's really, really talented people, right? And um, you've got to find those people, you, you know, um, you've got to look for talent density. I mean, it's, you, you know, there's the Pareto principle, right? You're always yeah. going to get yeah. 80% of your returns off 20% of your, you know, your inputs, right? So you've got to find those people, right? Um, you, you know, I, I think it's about how the team gels, how the team works together. You know, we often hear about, you know, is it a champion, a team of champions, or is it a champion team, right? Mm -hmm. You know, um, you know, it was an interesting book I read about leadership, and that they, this Wall Street Journal uh, journalist, had done this analysis of sporting teams to try to work out who the best sporting teams were. And as much as you think the Chicago Bulls have won this many rings and whatever, right, they were up there. But the most successful sporting teams had the leadership that carried the water for the rest of the team, right? It was, it was right. about the team, not about the, you know, like a sink, about personalities. It was about the team, right? So I think that there's super talented people wherever you've got. You've just got to find them. You've got to motivate them. You've got to point them in the right direction, which is why communication is – now. You know, I think often, you know, like things don't work, right? Like, yeah. as I said, I've failed many times in my career. I've, I've just, I've sat in the wrong spot or I've, you, you know, not had the right skills. You, you've got to ask yourself, you know, is the person competent and they just, you know, like didn't get the right support? Is it a person problem or is it they're just, it's just they're way out of their depth, right? You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, is it the Peter principle and, and you've over-promoted them, right? Right. Um, one of the great pieces of advice I got very early on was rarely when you know something's not working, you know like a person in a seat's not working, right? And hope, crossing your fingers and hoping that it's going to get better, Right. So, you know, you need to get out in front of it. And it doesn't mean you replace the person. It just means you've got to get out. You've got to understand why it's not performing. Why is that not, you know, did they not understand what their job was? Did they not understand what the remit was? Do they not understand which direction? Do they not have the right skills, right? Were they Sam Kendall Googling under the table trying to work out what was going on? Like, you know, and that's not their fault. That's their manager's fault who didn't prepare them for, Right. You know, that's the thing, right? So, but so I'm not sure that you need to think about, you know, you haven't got the right team, you take over a business, you haven't got the right team. You've got great people, right? You've inherited great people, 
right? You've got to find the very best. You've got to find the ones you can rely on, the ones you can trust, the ones that get stuff done because it comes down to execution. You've got to bring them all together, give them a shared narrative, an aligned narrative through the business and a, a vision of where they're going and then support them and realise that they're not all going to be performing at the same time. You know, you need to help them. You need to train them. And I think, um, you know, the onus is on is on me to help these people to succeed, right? You know, and, and uh, you know, help them to understand how to think. And, you know, because as I said, no one comes out of their womb. Like we're all taught how to do something, right? right. Either by mentors or we've been on a learning journey or, you know, whatever, right? So, okay. I don't, you know, I often, you know, you know, you just you the people are there, the team is there. You just need to bring it together, right? And of course, there's bad apples or people that don't want to get with the program, right? You know, but um, you know, I think the people there. It's just about creating the right environment, yeah. the right vision, that garden with all the different, you know, all the different elements fruits and vegetables. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and sometimes that's hard to figure out what are, is the right fertilizer or the amount watering or the you know whole pacing of what it is you provide along the way that's going to really help people grow. Let me try one more idea with you on this one to get your reaction to. I think accountability and motivation are often two similar sides of the same coin, maybe not perfect. If people are motivated, it's a whole lot easier for them to take accountability. And I also believe I can't make somebody accountable. That's something they have to choose to take accountability for. One of the things I think we get wrong in our discussion about accountability is we often don't understand where people get stuck. And frequently they get stuck in a conflict with some other part of the business that they don't have control over. And they get stuck and get frustrated and get demotivated and I think one of the roles of the leader who's looking for motivation and accountability is to hear those points, to figure out what they can do about it, and to be there as a resource to help resolve it, either through advice or through education or thinking or actually rolling up your sleeves and doing something about it. So I want to hear your reaction to what I've just said. Yeah, I, look, I would agree. I think... You know, you've got to put yourself in the shoes of the other person that you, you know, like, you know, that you're holding accountable, right? Like, you know, maybe they just simply don't understand what you've asked them to do. Like, they don't, they say yes, but they go away and they fundamentally don't understand what they're being asked to achieve, right? So, you can hold them as accountable as you want. You can have a weekly meeting, a daily meeting, like, where are your progress? But, but And they're not telling you, I don't understand. Yeah. Right? Like you've got to, you've got to, you've got to work that out. You know, you've got to work out: is this a process issue? You, you know, and and really, this is run as far as it can go, right? You, you know, I, I think you know you've got to teach people to lead because you know these are multi-dynamic organisations that we now work in global in many ways, right? Multidisciplined. You got to, you got to, you got to, you got to achieve through influence, right? People have got to trust each other. You know, you, you need people to, and that's why you've got to spend time with people, right? To build that trust, to communicate with people. But, you know, I think, yeah, I think the accountability, the motivation, very similar, but it's not as easy as just to hold people accountable, right? right. But you, you know, I also can't try. I can hold you accountable, but 
I've got to hold myself accountable and I've got to, you know, we've got to agree what accountability looks like, you and I. This is what yeah. we're trying to achieve. And, and then we push each other, right, you know, to, to achieve that, right? And it's okay to say I'm not achieving, right? Like I'm, I'm struggling and I think that's often what happens is, you know, we don't ask the question, how are you going, right? Like how are you feeling, you know, what do you need to, to get it done, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think it's about asking the right questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for the record, I think accountability does start with we have a common understanding of where we're going and what success looks like. And it's easy to say we do when it just came from you. It's different to understand what I understood in that process. And we have a plan, either created by you or created by me or jointly, but there's a plan. And we are both accountable to say, did we execute as accordingly on that plan? And then we resolve the issues I think the last piece is people want to have a voice in what's happening and the big decisions that are being made. Um, They don't need to be at the meeting, but they want to know their perspective is taken into consideration. Otherwise, it's hard to be accountable for it. I mean, my two bits on accountability. No, no, no. I I agree with that, right? And this gets back to the knowledge is at the edges of organizations. You've got to listen to that, right? Like, you know, I, I sit in management. You know, I look. I went back through my diary last year. I only spent twenty percent of my time on clients. We're supposed to be a client-centric organisation. Now I'm managing business. I'm managing on a bit. But my perspective of what clients want, if I'm only spending twenty percent of my time, is going to be different than someone that's spending a hundred percent of their time. Right? right. So you know, you need to hear. People have got inputs, regardless of where they're at. And then you need to share the plan. You need to share the accountability. As I said, I wrote an expectations memo very clearly, like how I was going to hold people in behaviours, right? right? Hold people accountable. And then I finished it by saying, I will reward and recognise excellence, right? Like, okay. yeah, that's a, that's a big stretch. People are like, oh, that's a bit tough. But it's like people are very clear. You do right. a great job. I'm going to pay you and I'm going to promote you. Yeah, you, you do it. You do a good job. I'll, I'll say thank you. You know, but you know, but you know where the bar is, right? And, right. That, and that's right. it's communication. It keeps coming for me. All of this keeps coming back to communication. All right. So communicate, communicate, communicate. Expectations, direction, what it means, what success looks like. Listen, 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 and listen some more up and down the organization, so you get the temperature or the mood some leading indicators so you're ahead of the curve of what's going to happen to the business and you can see that in advance and take course correction. And then being there both to educate people, understand what they need, what's working for them, what's not working for them, help them resolve some of those issues. Yeah, yeah. You make it sound so simple, Wanda. (laughs) Easier said, very (laughs) difficult to do in the course of the day. Sam, thank you so much for joining me for today, for the conversation, for your candid perspective My guest today, again, is Sam Kendall, currently at Unicredit. And Sam, it's been a delight. No, always a pleasure, Wanda. You always make me think. And, uh, you know, thank you. It's been wonderful knowing you. Well, let's not go as to how long we've known each other. Let's not. Let's not. But it goes both ways. Thank you very much. And to my listeners, join us next week for another episode in Getting Out of Your Comfort Zone. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.